0: With the comfort of our care. Knowing peace. With the comfort of our care. Knowing peace. With the comfort of our care. It's Dear Valley Hospice Care. Yeah. It's Dear Valley
1: Hospice Care. Join us for Stories of Healing, Hope, and the Hospice Journey, a conversational series that delves into various topics surrounding hospice care. Each episode features experienced practitioners from a range of services at Deer Valley Hospice Care, providing valuable insights and information. Whether you're interested in learning more about the practices of hospice or in need of support, this podcast is intended for anyone, anywhere.
2: Christy Jones, Deer Valley Hospice Assistant Administrator, and I'm joined here by Erica Scott, Deer Valley Hospice Care Administrator and our Director of Nursing. Today we'll be answering the most frequently asked questions about hospice care that were submitted by the viewers, and we'll get started.
0: So the first question is, is how do you think an African-American owned and operated hospice agency is important to have?
2: I believe it's important because I think when you have a person that kind of looks like you, you can better identify with them. I hear certain people saying, oh, you know, color doesn't matter. Yeah, and it don't. I'm one of these. Uh, yeah, no. So it does in a sense because and it's not something that I think people are conscious of doing per se. And this is really, I think, with any anybody, any kind of service, you just feel more comfortable or, or more relaxed when you have someone who looks like you. OK. And and it's nothing wrong with that. It really isn't. Even when you think about Caucasian folks. No, it, listen, they're quick to maybe identify with someone of their own color, same way with Hispanics, Indians, Europeans, anybody. You just seem to identify better with them. And so when you go to an African-American predominantly owned hospice company, you may not feel obligated to have to stress your point in terms of taking care of your loved one. Because, hey, we know, we know about the big mama. We, we know about Uncle George. We know about all that, you know, (laughs) and in those circumstances, you don't feel like that pressure or even that confusion that may come with you trying to explain certain things. And I'll give an example. At the hospital that I work, one of the social workers there, she's very nice, very bubbly. And she was kind of dealing with a similar situation with a black family going into hospice. This guy, he was in bad shape and it was kind of like, yeah, he, he need to go, but she wasn't aware of that stigma being associated with African-Americans and hospice. I know this is kind of going back to our previous question, but needless to say, I think with, and she happens to be Caucasian, and I think that may have partly had something to do with it. Just being in a hospital, you got all these different people coming in and she comes in and starts introducing possible hospice. And it's like, oh no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But you have this black nurse me (laughs) coming in just kind of sharing a little bit on how hospice can be beneficial hey it's okay I know if this were my loved one I wouldn't want to see them in this state because I know this isn't them I'm used to them up walking around I'm used to them being lively joking, eating, talking walking just like I remembered them and I know if I was on the opposite end I wouldn't want to be like this and these are just some things that I think she he didn't really consider at that point. And I later found out that they ended up going in the hospice, I think only for him to die, I think maybe about a day later. But I didn't hear anything else about it after that. However, that kind of again goes back to there being more African-American hospice companies out there or the need for there to be hospice, you know, African-American hospice companies out there. Because I think that if you see someone that's like you kind of has your same mannerisms, maybe has the same background, you 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 don't feel the pressure of having to choose. You don't feel obligated to have to explain. I get it. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with that, Erica. Do you want to piggyback off of that?
0: <laughs> no, I mean you hit every point, you know, because that is the problem. Cases on both sides where that that the families preferred a specific person, and I think it's all about the type of person you're dealing with and where their cultural background. Because of the fact that you know, you never know that person may be able to relate. There were cases to where I had I was sent to patients' homes because being a black nurse to go to talk with them because of the fact that they refused that white nurse. They the person saying that they didn't want them, they don't understand me, and that, you know, they're trying to take away all my medicine. They want me to just take this. They're just trying to kill me. They want me to, and it's like, no, that sometimes the approach is different with the person. I feel that all hospice companies, whether they're black owned or white owned or who, whoever owns it, that they should be educated. And I feel that we all need education in dealing with different ethnic groups that way, because you never know what type of patient that you're going to encounter. So I've had to take care of people I couldn't understand and they had to call interpreters to be <laughs> Able to communicate, but mm-hmm. I was still able to. I think, caring, and I think that actually I had a patient tell me that black women or their nurtures, they to me, their caregivers, she said, I searched for, I asked for a black nurse because I figured you would take better care of me. And she said, oh, it's, it's almost like the person. And I feel that being an African American owned company, we can be able to help educate our community so that that way we don't have to pass away alone or suffering or not at peace.
2: And just to kind of add a little bit to what you were saying, and that black. Black women, I guess, in general, being better comforters or nurturers. Mm-hmm. Again, that's something that's been instilled with no, us. The big mama did it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is how big mama do it. This she, is how she big takes mama straight do it. Dog off you the street know,
2: field. there you go. <laughs> and when you think about our history, we were the ones taking care of those white babies, if you will. We breastfed them. We took care of them. We fed them. We nurtured them. We raised them in some cases. So again, it's, it's a historical context when you start looking back on how things have changed and you start looking at the genesis of how things have come up the way that they have. What role do pain medications play in hospice care?
0: The pain medications, it's not always morphine. I've had patients on different types of pain management. It depends on the type of pain. If it's something to where there's arthritic pain, yes, we're going to only use Tylenol or Tremadol, things like that. But if it's deep organ pain, where they can't explain it, they can't describe it, nothing else is helping them. Then a lot of times we do go to morphine other and stronger and not just morphine. I've given people Dilaudid. I've given other medications outside of morphine, but at the end of life, the morphine is given more because of the fact that they're having, they're struggling. they respiratory issues. It helps actually open up the arteries to help them breathe better. It does more than just the pain, but it's something that helps for that deep organ pain that nothing else can get to. Also, we do lorazepam, as you know, as you said earlier, to help with relaxation, to help them to calm. They have like a terminal restlessness, things like that. Disease processes cause excessive secretions and things, so we have medications for that. So we're treating the symptoms, any type of symptom that can cause distress stress or discomfort the end of life to try to help suppress that symptom to make that person be comfortable.
2: Just to go on top of what Miss Erica was saying, that there are a variety of medications that are given. They're not just pain medications. We will give medications to help relax the muscles or relax the nerves, also to help with the secretions. Oftentimes you may have a patient who is passing, and they may seem gurgly or they sound like they're really congested. So we will give them medications to kind of thin those up and, and lessen them. So there's a variety of medicines that are used, and they're not just pain medicine. Why are some people discharged from hospice care?
0: Well, the best reason to be discharged is because you graduated. Your symptoms are managed. Could have been, like we were saying earlier, poor symptom management. And you were taking five blood pressure medicines that was causing you to faint. Once we got all that under control and found the problem, then you no longer we able to discharge you off, make sure you have a good a regimen put in place, that you follow with your doctor and things like that. So we've had that happen with a lot of people, that that was the issue. The other reasons would be if you move out of the service area, that we serve, then we will have to discharge you. And then if you go into an uncontracted facility like a hospital. So we always ask that we're your 911. Call us first if something happens. But we do have family members that still say, I want to take mom to the hospital. And that's fine. So we would have to do a revocation and discharge. Or we can discharge for cause. And if you choose to take something that is related to the diagnosis, we try to encourage you to let us treat anything. Because we had a patient recently that went out for issues. Like, you know, talk to us. Let us know. And she's like, well, this had nothing to do with why she was on hospice, so I just chose to call nine one one. So it's almost an education. We're going to keep educating on why to call us, to let us help you because a lot of things, we don't have to discharge you. We can actually, I know how to stop seizures. I know how to treat that that pain or if you're having tremors, like she said, we have medications. We have a comfort kit that's in your home that can help with anything needed in those cases of emergency. You call me and say, Mom shaking uncontrollably. I'm going to yeah. say, hey, go ahead and put a, uh, one of those lorazepam[s]." or Advantage under her tongue, and I'm on my way. And then we get there, you know, we get the doctor on the phone. They're going to walk us through. They're going to be on the phone with us, helping us or guiding us, or they've already given us instructions on what to do. So we try to avoid the discharges, but those are the main reasons that patients are
2: discharged from hospice. And of course, they've transitioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We do follow up with the family at certain intervals after death has occurred so they don't feel alone, like they don't have that support. We've got a, a laundry list of resources for persons that are struggling with death because it's not easy. It's not. Even in the midst of you agreeing to do hospice, you may have some immediate family that are totally against it. No, we don't want this. We don't want that. And you're constantly educating them through the entire process. And then when it happens, it's like the earth just stops. So we're there to give you that support and that guidance after the transition has occurred. And another way you could look at it is you're you're graduating, but you're graduating to a better place.
1: Introducing Old Henry's Soul Food Restaurant, where delicious meals meet a warm and welcoming atmosphere. Listen to all five episodes of our podcast and collect the word of the day for a chance to win a dinner date for four at Old Henry's. Don't miss out on this opportunity to experience the soulful flavors of Old Henry. Submit your answers in the form within our bio and join us for a night of great food and even better company. The word of the day is transparency.
0: How do you take care of yourself as a hospice nurse?
2: Well, just as a nurse in general, I've learned to kind of separate myself in a way. Sometimes it's really hard to do (laughs) because, again, you are not just that person's nurse. You're kind of acting as that counselor, that policeman, that advocate, all-around advocate. And sometimes, depending on how much time you spend with that person, you do get attached to some degree. But I think for me, kind of learned over the years to, again, try to put yourself in that box. Have I cried over patients dying or receiving bad news? Have I prayed? for them? Yes, I have. But at the same time, I have to learn on how to be a support without taking on their problems. And I think that's just a generalized rule, period. When you've got friends, you've got family members, yeah, you can be supportive without having to just take on their burdens, which I think burdens you even more to the point where you may not be any good to anybody to try to help them find solutions to their problems. I know that sounds a little (laughs) hard. to conceive, but it can be done. And it's something that I've used to try to help me continue to take care of that person. And also to just take care of my family, take care of myself. Also making certain that you are staying hydrated. When you run it around, and I'm referring to being on a nursing floor or you working with several different patients at a time, or even hospice, when you're with that person for hours at a time, make sure you're staying hydrated. Make sure you're eating. Make sure you go into the bathroom. I think nurses probably got the strongest (laughs) bladders in the world. You hold everything just to be for that person. But you are a human too, okay? And keeping yourself spiritually healthy, knowing that that person, hey, has transitioned. You've done what you needed to do to try to help them as well as their family be at peace and to have some kind of solidarity that, hey, I was there for them when they needed me. I helped that family understand and be appreciative of their loved one that has transitioned. So those are just some ways that I think I've kind of learned over the years to try to make sure that I'm being a support to that person without just taking on that responsibility for that individual. I'm gonna be your advocate. I'm gonna make sure that you are educated and you understand what is happening here. I've provided you with resources, solutions, options, that's something too that I think is, you know, it's something that's not really given to that person. They feel like that they're out of control. They don't have control of their sales or their decisions that they make. And they need to know, hey, you can carry this however you like. <laughs> Enjoy life. If that's one thing I've also learned just with my situation, you never know. You don't. You can leave out of here and don't make it home. But I can safely say that. I told my husband, hey, I love you. I don't care. Me and him argued yesterday. It's all good. (laughs) I love you. I love my sons. I I love my sisters. Hey, I love you. Just enjoy being here on this earth. Um, I I read something the other day that says God gave me two great gifts and that was my eyes. And there's probably some other things, but you have to do what works best for you.
0: So one thing I do is learn is meditation. Since Mm. I've been in hospice because of the spiritual things I've seen and witnessed and it made me more in tune with my spiritual side and I've mm-hmm. learned to meditate and mm-hmm. learn to every three months no matter what I take a day to myself mm-hmm. I can try to take a week off if I can or a few <laughs> days, three days if I can but at least once every two weeks they always say a week but I try or once a month or I try to do a day for me and it's Erica's day no matter what whether go get a massage, go to spa, go you know something and then 2 I've been exercising more and keeps mental health. Earlier, the Grim Reaper, it was like, it mentally messed with me because it was watching these people that I see these things. I know things. People tell you stuff. I ask questions or, you know, I've had like different spiritual encounters. Things, weird things happen in the room and it's like, okay, if I didn't believe in God, <laughs> I know it's one now. <laughs> you know, if I didn't believe in this, I, I see it like you learn. So it's almost to the point to where am I losing my mind? So, and it's hard because it's like, how do you keep? Felt like I feel like the worst person in the world. I'm going to steady telling these family members when I was with that company, they had like 200 clients. So it was like I'm constantly, it's like I was just doing maybe 10 death visits a week. And it was like, then on my team, I lost eight patients in one week. And then when I tell you, I built a relationship with them and their family. And it was, I'm going to see another one. There's eight of them in one week. It's like I had to take off like a week of work after that. And it was I was like, I'm not coming back. All my people going, I don't want to meet nobody else new. I'm finna meet a whole new set of people. It just, just mentally messed with me. And it was like so then I actually started reading up on things and I had a nurse tell me she say have you ever meditated I said I've heard about and she said you know I want you to just get somewhere quiet she said even every day so when I would see my patients or if I would go meet somebody it was in I sit in my car and I would meditate I would just sit there in silence and just whatever is you know thank God for things and pray for things and then I just sit there in silence whether it be saying a mantra over and over again and just say give me peace keep me safe give me a clear mind and I would say that because it is hard when you constantly seeing death. That's the hardest thing in the world to the point where every new nurse, and and I see one of the other questions is that what would you say to a nurse considering becoming a hospice nurse is that you have to build yourself to be able to talk that conversation because you have to. They have to know that what's going on. They have to know that, hey, your mom is transitioning, your dad is transitioning. The end of life is near. You have to be able to tell them and you have to be there with them through that. And then yourself, you just be strong mentally, have a good connection with God. Just have a spiritual self to where that you're able to keep your mental health together because it it takes a lot out of you to see it over
2: and over again. I agree. The first thing I think I would tell any new nurse that's wanting to go into hospice care is for one, make sure that this is something that, that you want to do. Me personally, I don't think I would put like a new nurse into that type of area just because, like Erica was saying, death, having to deal with that. There are going to be moments where you are running back and forth having to deal with that versus you just being the visiting nurse and, and everything is stable. But when it starts to kick in the high gear, if you will, have to be able to deal with that and honestly I, I, I wouldn't tell a new nurse to go into that I mean you, you gotta have some tough skin going into a field that I think is it can be overwhelming take care of six people period whether it's you going into a, a different area of nursing whether it be you know you just going into a mid surge floor or nursing home I mean they've got some sort of ailment that's going on with them that you're gonna have to Maintain. I think in and of itself, the nursing field is stressful, particularly now that there's such a shortage. A lot of, I guess, tasks are being, you know, pushed on us to have to absorb. Even at the hospital where I work, I've had to act as the phlebotomist, and that was something that I didn't have to. So imagine me having to pick up that task. Now I've gotten pretty good at it, but <laughs> in hospice, you are the authority figure in the room. They are looking towards you for answers. And sometimes you may not be able to answer those questions or being in the heat of the moment, you may not even think for the answer. And that's really why I would say hey, I probably wouldn't <laughs> get a new graduate nurse or a new nurse period and bring them into hospice because you do have to be resourceful. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to be able to take on that emotional impact that you may not be ready for.
0: You're taught in school, <laughs> in complex land to fix this, fix that. Yeah. You preserve. Life, but in this field, you're helping them transition peacefully, so it's different. I think that was my biggest struggle when I decided to become a hospice nurse. Is because it's like, so we're not gonna fix that, you're not gonna, (laughs) I can give it, you can take this, you can do this. So, you have to know Mm -hmm. when they've made that choice and say, I'm ready to go. Your job is to help them transition peacefully, comfortable, not in pain. I didn't get that concept at first, and it bothered me. Like you said, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but if that's truly what your passion is then learn more about this mm-hmm. field and know that and look into it there's all kind of books, things on it it talks about what nurses have experienced and things so maybe to know that, that you have to get ready for this this field
2: nursing. And I'd have to agree with Erica going in a hospice. I'm still fairly new into it I'm learning stuff every day and kind of with her <laughs> quite a, a vast difference talking about you working on the side where you're healing them and you're trying to restore them versus you just kind of letting them peacefully go on
0: the goal of this podcast series is to educate the community so families can make the most informed hospice decision we hope you learn more about hospice than you previously did however if there was a question that was not answered you can always reach out to the member of our hospice team at 314-396-2211 thank you for joining us
2: Thank you.
1: I hope you will join us for our next episode of Stories of Healing, Hope, and the Hospice Journey. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly with Rhonda Potts, Deer Valley Intake Coordinator, and Robin Foley, Deer Valley Community Liaison. Thank you for tuning in to Stories of Healing, Hope, and the Hospice Journey. We hope that the conversations we've had with experts and caregivers have provided valuable insights and perspectives on end-of-life care. As always, our goal is to promote compassionate and dignified care for those nearing the end of their lives. We encourage you to continue the conversation with your loved ones, health care providers, and community about the importance of hospice care. Hospice care yeah. It's Deer Valley Hospice Care.